Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Viral, a podcast series looking at the spread of COVID-19 as it continues to affect Ireland and the international world in a growing capacity. On the podcast today, we look at whether the impact of COVID-19 can help us prepare for the climate crisis ahead, the world's next global emergency. There's something about the nature and the immediacy of the threat. You know, some people are particularly threatened by the, the idea of a virus, an infection, something that's invisible and that it's not only coming, but it might already be here and you don't even know about it. And this is in contrast then to something like climate change, which is big and diffuse. And when it arrives in your life, certainly for people living in rich countries like Ireland, when it arrives in your life, it probably won't arrive with a huge big effect immediately the way that a virus might. Um, It will be slower and it will be more gradual. And um, we're like the classic frog being boiled in water with climate change, that when we got in, the water was cool. But because we're in it, we don't notice the temperature increasing very slowly. And that, in the end, will kill us. So we have these two extremes. And I think there's something in our psyches that makes us particularly likely to panic about a virus or an infection. That was a clip from our interview with Brendan Kelly, Professor of Psychiatry at Trinity College Dublin, back at the beginning of the outbreak here in Ireland. Since then, the world has seen vast changes in nearly every part of people's daily routines. The world's population has adapted to how they work, travel and socialise, all in a truly global effort to limit the spread of the virus. For many observers, what was most amazing though was the ability for all of this to take place in such a short space of time. At the beginning of 2020, if asked what the greatest issue the world would face for the year ahead was, a huge proportion of people would have looked at climate change. Little did we know the beginning of this decade will always be remembered for the biggest global health crisis in over a century. Once COVID-19 is truly controlled and our lives resume to some sense of normality, the issue of climate action will become increasingly more prevalent in public debate. As mentioned though by Professor Kelly, the lack of perceived immediacy makes the global progression around climate action an extremely slow prospect. Norman Crowley is one of Ireland's most successful environmental entrepreneurs and the CEO of Crowley Carbon and the Cool Planet Group, which employs over 400 people globally. He joined me on the podcast today as we looked at some of the parallels between the COVID-19 pandemic and the climate crisis. In the chat, we looked to see if there's anything to be learned about the public reaction to the current global catastrophe we find ourselves in and one that we are certain to face later down the road. The whole group is called Cool Planet Group, and that is everything from uh, quite a large energy efficiency business all the way through to uh, our car business, Electrify, and then our 
education foundation called Cool Planet Experience. So we run multiple businesses. Our energy efficiency business operates in 26 countries. It's got about 17 different uh, operating entities. So it's quite a big business. And I suppose over the last two months, we've seen an obvious change in how the world operates. And I think everyone's lives are now moving at a much slower pace. And say personal and household emissions would have decreased quite significantly. What does this tell you about our ability to adapt very quickly to a new way of living and how we could try and implement that going forward in relation to climate change? It doesn't tell us anything too profound. Like the global data says that when we stopped everything, we reduced our carbon emissions by 20%, which, you know, on one hand is kind of shocking because pretty much the whole world stopped, right? All the developed world, which is mostly emissions, stopped. And yet all we managed to achieve was a 20% reduction. It says to us that, look, we've got a lot more to do. I think a lot of what happened around it from a green point of view was pretty tone deaf. You know, there was a lot of messaging went out saying, God, if you think COVID's bad, wait until you see what climate change looks like. Uh, I don't think that helps. You know, I think people in the middle of this crisis are worried about their livelihoods, they're worried about their health, they're worried about any older people, they might be mining their health. And I think any of the messaging that's come out isn't really helpful about climate and about the climate agenda. There's been some nice things like it's lovely to see clear skies over Dubai and Mumbai and places like that. But sadly, that doesn't mean anything. As soon as factories start up again, that's going to, you know, that's going to go back to the way it was, sadly. You know, I think maybe it's given people a little glimpse of what life could be like if we all lived a little bit better, but that's it. Globally, as you were saying, emissions are down, but that doesn't translate into any real world effect. What are the first steps in doing so then in that case? I mean, a lot of it is the structural stuff that's happening anyway, right? If you look at the top four reasons why climate change exists, which most people don't understand um, because people think it might be plastics and stuff like that, or people a lot of the time think it's airplanes, right? So airplanes are only 2% of the problem. So mm. they get a lot of they get a lot of focus, right? But if you look at the top four things, it's energy. So is number one. So in energy, what do we need to do? We need to move towards solar. We need to move towards renewables. And one of the big headlines that's been missed in all of this um, COVID is that the cost of solar has dropped uh, to new and dramatically low levels. Coal is now almost an impossible business. So coal is the bad power generating thing. Solar is the good power generating thing. So what's happened during COVID? Coal now nightmare, more expensive now than solar to generate electricity from it. No bank is going to back any new coal-fired plant. Everyone wants to back solar. So largely now, if you give it time, like solar will win, coal will lose, and that'll be the end of it. So in number one, which is energy, a lot of the problem is sorted, right? It's just a matter of time. Now, some people don't believe that, but the data is there to support that. Transport, which is the next one, is interesting. I think we've all, yes, air travel, we all talk about it, but it's genuinely only 2% of the problem. But it has given us a glimpse, this whole thing has given us a glimpse of what it's like to work from home. What the hell are we doing all this travel for? you know, the genie has come out of the bottle big time on that. And that's going to have a big effect on transport. Now, a lot of transport is goods, and we still need to work a lot on electric for transport. Um, But actually, this could help a lot, this COVID thing, you know, it's like, I certainly 
I'm going to dramatically reduce my air travel. You know, mm. you're going to have to work very hard to get me on a plane for business from now on. And what infrastructures need to be put in place to make working from home more operable for a lot of the country? Because obviously in urban areas like Dublin, Wi-Fi isn't necessarily an issue. But what do we have to do to make that okay for the rest of the country? Honestly, I think it's happening. You know, rural broadband is coming. I know there's been some scandals about it in the last couple of years, but it is coming. Like if you look at me, I'm sitting here now in the Wicklow Mountains. I've got a gigabit internet. It was supplied by the rural broadband scheme. That's happening quite a lot. And look, I think if you live like in places that are in the middle of nowhere, you are going to compromise a little bit, right? Um, you can't expect a gigabit of ethernet three quarters of the way up a mountain for another couple of years, right? And because it costs a fortune to deliver it to you. So, and who's going to pay for that, right? So you've got to compromise something. If you want to live somewhere remote, I do think you have to live with the compromises. Comparisons have been made that COVID-19 is some sort of, you know, leveler economically that it affects rich people and poor people equally. But I think that's obviously personally not true. If you're living in high density apartments, you're more likely to catch it, et cetera. Will this be the same case for whatever the implications of the climate crisis in years to come be? Is it going to marginally affect people who are less off, a lot worse? I think massively so, right? So the people who are most affected by climate change right now are people who live in in Bangladesh, right? Because low-lying country, no money, right? Um, And so waters, you know, places, sea levels rising all the time, they're losing space, they don't have anywhere to go. Um, But we're all going to get affected by that, right? So there's a view that, well, like the poorest are going to get affected first, so we're okay. And you might say, or people listening might say, well, I'm not rich or whatever, right? But you're a hell of a lot richer than somebody in, like, in Bangladesh, right? So, but actually that's not true. If you, like, these people are not going to stay in these low-lying countries. They're going to come to our countries. We can say, well, we're going to keep them out. Well, you can't keep them out, right? They're... Like you can keep out 400, 500,000 or whatever number of migrants are coming from Syria right now, but you can't keep out, like according to the UN, by 2050, we're going to have at least 50 million climate migrants a year, right? Not going to keep them out of anywhere. They're going to go anywhere to save their lives, you know? And we see that even now, horrible scenes of people hopping on dinghies and trying to get away from Syria. Like we see it today and that's nothing compared to what we're going to see. So it's not really, though, about scaremongering. Like, you can scaremonger COVID, you can scaremonger climate change. People don't respond to scaremongering. It's, you know, it's not the way to go. Uh, our view on the way to go is to look at how brilliant this can be when we fix it, right? It's a much healthier way of looking at this. If you take, you know, back to the pillars of fixing climate change, energy, look, solar, one cent a kilowatt, that's that's really cheap energy, right? Mm. So wouldn't it be amazing if your electricity bill in another five years dropped by 90%, right? If you haven't driven an electric car, test drive one, it's much better than an ordinary car, right? Much more fun, much faster, much cheaper, actually. Um, so even now you can get a Hyundai Kona for the same money you can get any kind of normal family car. So much better way of going about it. Then if you look at the other... Uh, things we need to do. We need to take it easy on meat, sadly. Um, Look, vegetarian, 50 times better for you anyway. And then if you take number four on the climate pillars is educating women and girls in developing countries. What's wrong with that, right? Like they need to be educated. It's a brilliant way forward. It has many, many advantages for the world. 
Uh, I think we've seen in this COVID thing, the effect of female leadership around the world is much better anyway. So rather than talk about the threat of these things, because we work in the scientific area, the threats of this thing are scary as hell, but actually much more productive to talk about the upside. And the upside is, is nothing short of phenomenal. I had spoken to a psychologist before starting the podcast. It was one of our first couple of episodes and he made some comparisons as well all around the fact that COVID-19 was obviously a huge stress-inducing thing for the vast majority of the country, yet the climate crisis isn't necessarily there yet. And his comparison was based around the lack of urgency is to do with the timeliness of it as well. So how do you try and drive that message forward a little bit that even though this mightn't affect us hugely within the next 10, 15 years, it's going to have dramatic effects going forward? Look, it is going to affect us in the next five years. You know, we're going to have more droughts, more floods in Ireland. Uh, we're going to have more climate migration. So this, is, this isn't a then problem, it's a now problem. Mm. But I think the thing that we failed with for the last 40 years is that message right of um it's going to be awful if we don't fix it everyone ignores that the reason they ignore it i'm sure the psychologist might have said this is because our minds aren't programmed to look at threats five years out right our minds are programmed to is there a tiger in that bush is that tiger going to eat me in the next 30 seconds that's the way our minds are programmed if you say to me there's a tiger in that bush and sometime in the next five years he might bite you I'm there kind of going, hey, I got some problems. I'm hungry, right? I got some problems now. And that's what's happening in this climate thing. And you'll never fix that. And this constant messaging about the future, the future, we believe more and more is a waste of time. And again, it's talking about a threat in the future. It doesn't work. So what does work is here is a solution right now. It's much better. It's much cheaper. Do you want this much better, much cheaper solution? Or do you want to mess around with that kind of crappy solution? And in general, people will go that way. And so our argument all the time is this is a failure of invention right now. And there isn't enough focus on that, right? If, if I ask somebody, listen, um, I want you to suffer for climate change right now, people just aren't willing to do it. So, but if we invent the right things, people don't have to suffer now or later. And what does strong policy making look like that at the moment? Look, I don't think strong policy making is going to happen, even if the Greens come in. But what strong policy making right now looks like is a push towards solar, um, more sustainable agriculture. What I mean by that isn't this kind of hippie green, you know, view of agriculture. It's Here's the facts about agriculture in Ireland right now. Farmers don't make any money, right? So is that sustainable? Never mind the green, fluffy agenda. Farmers not making money right now. Is that sustainable from a business point of view? No, it's not, right? So how do we make agriculture sustainable? If we can make agriculture sustainable in a way that doesn't involve heavy meat production, then we will, farmers will make more money they'll get higher margins, our large agri-food businesses will make more money. And there isn't a push towards that at the moment or not mm. anything near the push that needs to be there. It, we've got some kind of dairy and meat are good and uh, we need to keep that show going and everything else is bad. And that's just silly because it's not good right now, it's not good for the planet, but it's really not good for farming, right? It's not, not good for the environment. And there are loads of, um, examples out there of like if you take beyond meat right one of the top five most successful flotations of the 2019 year right financially that's a meatless meat burger right we already have some companies here like kerry foods 
who are working on meatless products, they got a meatless division. Why aren't we as a government backing that, right? Why aren't we pushing solar much, much harder? But to be honest, I've been beating that drum for 10 years. It would appear to me a waste of time. Mm. Um, our focus has very much moved more towards how do we put a much more attractive proposition for climate in front of the consumer and just let the consumer do the obvious thing, which is go towards the cheaper, better option. What does the government's response over the last two months teach you about their own response to the climate crisis, which we've seen within their last decade of governance? The government, to be clear, has done an amazing job around COVID. You know, could they have done better? Yes, you can always do better, right? But they've done a brilliant job. But around, um, around climate, like non-existent. And they would admit that too. You know, uh, I don't think there's anybody in government has publicly said we've done an amazing job on climate. Uh, so to be fair to them, at least they're not cutting themselves, right? Um, but as a consumer blaming government in any country in the world, so tell me the country around the world that's done an amazing job on climate. There isn't one. Yeah. You know, you can use examples like Costa Rica where, they're, where they have a lot of green energy. But look, it's an accident. They've got a lot of hydro, right? And so they generate a lot of green electricity. No country out there is acting on this. And the reason they don't act on it is back to the tiger in the bushes, right? We've got a housing crisis. We've got a health crisis. So people, and what we saw in the last election is people will vote to solve the immediate problem um, more so than they will vote for the long-term issues. Yeah, Green's got a bit of a bounce, but nothing compared to what Sinn Féin got, you know, campaigning on immediate issues. So it's not, like this will not be solved by government anywhere in the world. This will be solved by the invention of compelling, products that solve the climate crisis in that story. That was episode 26 of Viral COVID-19. I'd like to thank Norman Crowley for joining me on the podcast today. I will be back with more news surrounding the Irish and international response to the COVID-19 pandemic this Friday. I'm Ian Doyle. I'll talk to you then.